Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I am joined today by Katie Snevis. Hello, Katie. Hey, Sarah. How are you doing? Good, good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It has been like, I know it's always boring to talk about the weather, but it's been so freaking cold in Denver. And now it's finally like a sunny day. I mean, I wore a tank top and shorts running yesterday. It was wild. You did yeah. not. Yes, I did. It was, it's, but I mean, you know, it's been like five, three you know, snowing all the time. So it was lovely. I was so sweaty. It it felt good to sweat. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Wow. 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 Well, our snowbangeddon has finally, I mean, it's largely melted. We got the second most snow on record since they've been keeping records since 1939. Here in Portland, we've got 10.8 inches in one day. That is insane. Are you guys... I mean, are there like sledding hills? Can you guys actually have fun in the snow or is it just more annoying than anything? Oh, it shuts the city down. There are, I mean, to see a snowplow is, I'd have more luck finding a unicorn in town. (laughs) I mean, it is Portland, so there probably are a lot of unicorns, but uh, narwhals. Um, But Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I mean, they, they just, the streets are not plowed and then people drive on them. So then they turn into ice. Oh, man. And we were just trapped. I had to miss two pickleball sessions. I mean, come on. I mean, that's unheard of. Hopefully you get a makeup session, right? Right. So got to play yesterday. And then but I was trying to squeeze in a lot of pickleball because I'm headed to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania tomorrow morning. My son John and I have to be at the airport at 4 a.m. Hmm. And uh, so we are his dance company, the Jefferson Dancers. We are going out to the National High School Dance Festival. Ooh. So is it a competition or is it kind of like a showcase? What It is. So it's definitely do not think dance moms. There are not people doing flips and uh, <laughs> things like that. It is, it is Heavy makeup, yes. you know, outfits, all the stuff. Yes, yes, yes. So showcase is a good word for it. There are loads of classes that taught by, you know, expert dancers, things like that. Then there are auditions for kids to for scholarships for college and summer quote unquote intensives meaning that you know maybe a one week two week month long two month long summer dance course mm-hmm. and then also um, performances including the thing I'm most excited for is that John choreographed a he was one of three seniors who choreographed a piece that the company does 
And it was one of, um, out of 200 submissions, I believe there were about 25 chosen. And then 11 of those were chosen to be in the evening showcase. Ooh. Yes, rather than like at four in the afternoon, his plus one of the other dancers from the JDs is also got in as one of the 11. So that's pretty exciting that out of 11, two of them are from Jefferson dancers. Very cool. Is it a solo or is it? No, in John's piece, maybe there's hmm, seven or eight dancers Okay, out of the 18 that are in the company. And then in the other kid, Eli, he has close to all the company members he has maybe out of the 18, I don't know, 15, 16 of them. And okay. so then one of those 11 pieces will be crowned the national winning student choreographed piece. Incredible. And you know what I love the most about all of that is it's two boys that are that mm-hmm. made it to the finals. That's mm-hmm. so cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So it's very exciting. I will be sobbing while I watch it. Aww. <laughs> Wear some sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> so, and if he wins, I'm just never going to come down off of cloud nine. So, Aww, that's so cool. I yes. love that. I was in a similar situation. My youngest, Annie, was asked to play in a soccer tournament this weekend. Ooh, and uh-huh. I like caught myself. I mean, this was like a nothing tournament. It was, hey, we need some extra players. Could she play? And she played up a year. So she's playing mm. with all these kids that are a year older. Mm-hmm. And she's honestly half the size of all of these girls. I mean, she's <laughs> she's tiny to begin with, which is weird because Dana and I are so large. And she just hustled her little tail off out there. She is not afraid of any one or any size. And it just, you know, Dan's like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like sitting over there, like choking up. I mean, I did have sunglasses on, but you know, you just get this emotion takes over you when you see your kids when they're so passionate about something and then they get out there and you're Mm -hmm. like, you know what, this is all driving back and forth and the hustling around. This Mm -hmm. is what it's all about. Mm -hmm. So you go girl, you go ahead and cry during that performance because (laughs) it means just as much to you as it does to them. I think. Yes. Yes. It was funny yesterday when I was playing pickleball, this woman I play with Lizzie who has never met my kids hasn't I've I've played with her I don't know a handful of times so I haven't had a chance to you know dig deep into what my life is all about and so I told her that the Jefferson dancers had their annual spring performance in downtown Portland at a professional stage it's really amazing and she was like oh you have to let me know about it she said I just love watching kids dance and then I cry <laughs> Oh, my gosh. She's like, I don't know why. I'm like, I'm right there with you. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's so cool. Wait, I have one quick anecdote to talk about um, pickleball because, you know, I'm a tennis player. So racket sports. I played in a match last week and it was a doubles match. One of the players that we played against threw her racket (gasps) and it broke on the, I mean, I haven't seen that since I played in high school. These are over 40 year old women, right? Like 40 plus. She got so mad. They won the first set. They were down like 5 0 in the second set. I could see her blowing up. So I just kept hitting it to her, you know, because to make her more agitated, <laughs> threw her racket, broke it. I mean, in the middle of the game, it was wow. insane. Wow. Yes. Do you guys get those types of players in pickleball? Because I was, tr- I had to turn around because I wanted to start laughing. I mean, it was so ridiculous. <laughs> so, right? Well, before I answer your question, I have to ask you, did you end up beating them? Oh, yeah. Of course we did. Because I, <laughs> I, I mean, I shouldn't say it like that, but yes, we did because her head, you know, mentally mm-hmm. she was gone. We know about this in races and about mm-hmm. any types of sports. Like once you let that overcome you, it's hard to crawl back. And she, 
um, she, yeah, she had lost it. And her, I felt so bad for her partner because she was yelling at her partner <gasps> and her partner was trying to like keep the peace and we're like, it's okay. You know, she's having a bad day. And she did come back and apologize. And we're like, it's okay. Like, you know, whatever you, you didn't hurt anyone, but I just am, I'm sorry that you're so emotionally attached to this game. Like wow. you, you gotta let, this is not Wimbledon. It's so not. <laughs> it's not even close. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. No, I have never seen anyone come close to throwing their paddle. That is not, I that, mean, that's not happening. No, yeah. no, no, no. I uh, played against a woman. That woman, Lizzie, brought along a friend yesterday. We needed somebody to fill in. And, oh, my gosh, the friend she brought was so good and just mm-hmm. made every shot look so easy. And the three of us were just like in awe of this woman, Debbie. Uh, don't you love i love i mean it's intimidating but i feel like i play better when i play oh, with people like that completely. you know they, they improve your game oh quickly oh yes 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 had to step it up and i was hustling a lot that i mm-hmm. i usually can make some pretty good down the middle shots and i wasn't doing a great job of shot placement yesterday but boy my hustle i brought mm-hmm. my a hustling game there you go yes. all those you know wind sprints that you've been doing over the years and track <laughs> workouts came in handy. Right. Finally, finally. Maybe there is <laughs> such a thing as muscle memory. I don't know. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah, so I will, going back to Pittsburgh, I will be there for going there on Tuesday morning and don't come back till Sunday night and oh, wow. chaperoning. And I think there's going to be a lot of sitting in the hotel. Um, okay. Yes. Yes. So, And I'm, will it be like babysitting these teenagers or are they all pretty? As long as they're with, they are allowed to go out without a chaperone as long as they have a buddy with them. Okay. And I'm going to get, um, I'm in charge of uh, John and two other senior boys and one junior boy. And I'm going to get them so that I can track them on find my friend smart or find my whatever on my iPhone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to be like, guys, if you go out, text me. And yeah, I, I assume best intentions. They are, they, they have a very strong code of ethics and behavior when they are out in public and and they take it pretty seriously. So good. Good. Yeah. They have to represent Mm -hmm. JD. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Very well said. Exactly. Yes. Well, good. Best of luck to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) It'll be awesome. (laughs) It will be. It will be. So, well, today we are talking about dogs and wildlife, kind of ways to improve the experience of running with your dog, as well as ways to deal with stray dogs and wildlife encounters on a run. We hear that on our Facebook page, you know, what do I do? I got approached by a stray dog. So finally decided it was time to talk to an expert. So our guest is Karen B. London, PhD, a certified applied animal behaviorist and certified professional dog trainer. Dr. London, who asked that we call her Karen, specializes in working with dogs with serious behavioral issues, including aggression. Karen writes the animal column for the Arizona Daily Sun and is an adjunct professor in the Department of Biological Sciences at Northern Arizona University. She's the author of six books about canine training and behavior, including her most recent one, Treat Everyone Like a Dog, How a Dog Trainer's Worldview Can Improve Your Life. (laughs) Thanks for joining us, Karen. Hey, thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate it. Karen, we're so excited to chat with you today. We always like to start off by asking our guests about your athletic background. So what did you do when you were younger and and kind of what have you done until then? Running, walking, tennis, whatever your activities may be. Oh, what a fun thing. People never ask me about, you know, what I used to do. So when I was a kid, I was really into uh, gymnastics and swimming and, and soccer. Okay. And especially, uh, I'm almost 5'7", and in gymnastics, uh, whenever I 
would hit my feet on uh, a parallel bar. My coach would make me run around the gym. <laughs> and whenever I had various issues in soccer, my coach would make me run around the track at the field. And so it wasn't <laughs> long before I was like not feeling punished because I liked the running. So I got into running by the time I was in middle school and did that. That's been pretty much, I mean, I, I love to do a lot of sports, kind of recreational, you know, pickleball, tennis, swimming, soccer, basketball a little bit, but mostly since I realized that running wasn't a punishment for me, I've mostly been running. And most recently I competed for the first time in the triple jump because, oh, yeah, I know ooh, it's kind of crazy, wow. but my uh, younger son is a really good triple jumper who plans triple jump in college. He's a high schooler now. And my husband did a triple jump at a meet with him one time and everyone kept saying, oh, that's so cute. Like he's triple jumping like his father. And it's like, um, well, other way around, but whatever. <laughs> my, my husband did really well. And we looked, we live in Arizona and he was just a couple feet off the state record for Arizona for wow. his age class, you know, in the fifties. And I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna look up what the women's age class is in the triple jump. Um, and there was no mark for women in their fifties. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I'm going for the state record in the age class for the triple jump, which I got. And they just actually put it up, but they put it in the age class 40 to 44, but hopefully they'll change it to 50 to 54. So, so that's I mean, my that athletic background. incredible. Wow. Well, I didn't wow. do a very good job, but I, I got a mark. So, and, um, and I'd like to try it again. I'll be turning 55 this year. So then I'll try it in the next age class, which also currently doesn't have a mark. There Look you go. You. That is fabulous. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I had the exact opposite reaction when I played soccer and my coach used to make me run because I was like chatting with my friends or, you know, picking flowers or something when I was supposed <laughs> to be playing soccer. And then I hated running because it was such a punishment to me. Now I love to run, but it took me a good 20 years, I was, would say, until I started running for pleasure and not looking at it as a punishment. <laughs> so we had opposite experiences. You know, well, I'm glad you came around eventually. And I think that socially, yes. I, it sounds like it kind of was like a social punishment, like not like you maybe didn't like the running, but that it was it was meant to be punitive. And I just think how sad this sport yes. that we all love and that makes us so happy and it's used as a punishment. I It, it just mm -hmm. violates my approach to life. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So I would love to know about your professional background as well. So how did you, you know, land on your specialty of dogs with serious behavioral issues? Also a long story, as is everything I say. Okay. I mm -hmm. went to college knowing that I would didn't know what I would major in, but I knew it wouldn't be science and ended up going on a field biology class for a quarter to Costa Rica and got really interested in social insects. So I changed to biology major ended up going to graduate school studying social insects, and I studied social wasps for my PhD dissertation. And while I was in graduate school, I TA'd a class for a really well-known behaviorist and trainer named Patricia McConnell, who's written a lot of great books and done a lot of great training. And I just got really interested in her work. And she had a business called Dog's Best Friend, but she was teaching a class about human-animal relationships, the biological and philosophical issues. And I started just assisting with her dog training classes and then I started kind of interning with her. And then she took some time off to write a book called The Other End of the Leash about the human side of dog training. And I was seeing her aggression cases. And I, I studied defensive behavior in tropical wasps. So going from that, like stinging animals to biting animals was kind of, I'm really interested in weaponry. And so I just, after I graduated, I started working for her at her business and she trained me to be an aggression specialist. And I did behavior work sort of before I did actual training, mostly at the same time, but a little bit different. And 
And that's what I do know. I originally planned to go into academics and studying uh, animal behavior. And as soon as I graduated, Mm -hmm. uh, well, a year later, I started working for her and that was in 1999. And I have been working with dogs, mostly aggressive dogs ever since. Wow. Interesting. So Karen, do you run with a dog? I often run with dogs. Yes. I did train for my first half marathon with my dog, Bugsy. And that was very fun. And that's how I learned a lot about running with dogs. Mm -hmm. I don't have like a specific dog running buddy right now that goes with me on every run, but I I do regularly run with dogs. I have a just turned five-year-old chocolate lab that I run a lot with. I mean, almost every time I run, he comes with me. And I will admit that he's not trained very well. Uh, That was my fault. But anyways, I love running with him. He's such a great dog to run with, both on leash and off leash. But I'd love to know, you know, what is a common misconception about running with a dog? Whenever I tell people I run with my dog, they say, oh my gosh, aren't you worried about him pulling you over or tripping and falling? And Lord knows that's happened to me a number of times while I've been running with him. But what do you think some people are nervous about running with their dog? Why do you think they're nervous about running with their dogs? You know, it's such an interesting question. I've often wondered about it. And I, I will, I have sympathy for you, but I don't know a dog trainer or a, or a runner who runs with dogs who has not occasionally sort of had a macrame with leash sort of incident or yes. being pulled over. <laughs> a lot of dog trainers actually have broken, have broken fingers with leashes. Oh. I have not, but you know, but there've been some close calls. I mean, whenever you attach two things with essentially a rope, you know, the things can happen. Right. Right. I think there are several things that make people hesitant to run with their dog. Um, I think one of them is that they're worried that their dog will get in the way of their time. Like mm-hmm. the, it's, and I mean, and I, I, when I had two, you know, children under the age of two, like my running time was so sacred. It was like, yes. if I don't have this, like, it's not going to go well. I need to take care of me so I can take care of you. So I know that when I have worked with dogs, especially if they've been my own dogs, I have sort of two sort of policies. Like when I take a dog out for a walk, for a walk, it's for them. I'm going for them. Dogs need to get out and I take them out and I don't know if this is a really common word in the dog training world, but not so much in the running world, but you take a dog on sniffari, meaning the whole point is for them just to <laughs> sniff and have a good time. Yes. And you just let them lead, not into the street or, you know, not dangerous, but you just let them lead and they go where they go and you follow them and it's for them. And that's a walk or a sniffari. But when I run, so my cute. attitude is it's for me. I'm telling the dog that's in my mind, this run is for me and you get to come along. Lucky you. And it doesn't uh-huh. mean that I never let them sniff like a, maybe a little bit at the beginning or like if we're at a traffic light and there's a fire hydrant, you know, there's, you know, whatever. Um, and certainly if they need to pee and poop, I let them go because they have to, but I don't let them right. pee and mark constantly. So I think one thing is that, that the, the dog will invade their time. And there is a little bit of a balance. And one thing I would say for a lot of people, I say, you know, if you don't really want to run with your dog for that reason, you know, do a, a couple mile looping warm up with your dog and then go for your real run. You know, you can at least get them out a little bit. And, you know, because most of us on our warm ups, if, if, you know, if you're doing a longer run and it's a couple miles, it doesn't matter too much your pace or exactly what you do. So the dog isn't disruptive. Right. I think another thing is people sometimes are worried about having the dog pull them or hurt them or, you know, mess up their gait, which is a serious concern. And one of the things I would say with that is mm-hmm. you can use equipment that can keep a dog from pulling. There are certain types of harnesses that attach in the front that can keep a dog from pulling. It kind of gives you power steering. One thing I would say is that's often a temporary thing. (laughs) You should train them not to do that because it can affect their gait, you know, like, and you don't want their gait to be affected. Mm. They can't sometimes reach their leg out quite as far on the lead. And so you don't want to do that for a long time. But, you know, if you do it temporarily as you work with them. Another thing I would say, and this is like one of my favorite hacks, is a lot of people take their dog running on a six-foot lead. And so many dogs and labs are famous for it. They're bred to work out ahead of us. 
use a 12 foot leash yes. and okay. You may have to get really good at gathering it up. Like you've been in a band oh. or you're a sailor, but just use a 12 foot leash or even an eight <laughs> foot one. And because most, a lot of dogs, they really cannot, unless they're on a full heel. And I only ever teach my dogs to heal so that because I'm a dog trainer, people think that a dog should heal, but really I never use heel because it's something that's like you put them on your left side so you can use your, your sword and your right arm or show them in the, the, the ring, you know, in performance, you know, in obedience. I don't do that. I just want a dog that generally has a loose leash and is having nice leash manners and a longer leash can really help. And you do occasionally step over it. I've never considered that. That's good to know. Yeah. And one thing that you can do, like say you're running where you might need to have them closer for a bit, just attach the hook of one six foot lead to another. And that way you can just hold the leash of the other one. Okay. um, If you need to, but yeah, I love running with a longer leash with dogs. You just might have to gather it in if you, you know, are passing, you know, a stroller or whatever, right? um, depending on where you are. I live in an urban environment, so he does have to stay on a shorter lease most of the time. But when I go, you know, to some of the areas around our house that where he has a little bit more room, room to roam, then that's a good idea to put him on a longer leash. What I think is funny though, is that he'll wander off and I'm not, I'm in my zone, right? I'm just running. I'm not really paying attention to them. And all of a sudden he's stopped to sniff something and it like yanks me back and it's just... Luckily, I haven't fallen from that, but you really have to be very present. Like it's, I think that's one thing that I don't enjoy running with him is you can't get fully into your zone. You have to really pay attention, at least for me, what, what my dog right. is and doing Right, and you've got a well. you know, very active dog and some have a harder time. I do find that some, if you give them some freedom, like with a longer leash, letting them sniff, then when you are asking for them to be a little more attentive to you, it's easier for them. And it, um, that can help. Okay. Another thing is there are leashes that have essentially like a stretchy zone in it, like a bungee. And that absorbs some of the shock um, and that can help. They're quite a bit more expensive. So you want to make extra sure you don't leave them where they can lie them around, you know, chew on them or something. I always feel like, oh, if a dog chews like a, you know, a $12 lease, that's annoying. But if they chew a $35 lease, then I'm really sad. Right. Um, Because that is, you know, like Mm -hmm. less, you know, nutrition for my runs that I can buy or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm making a shopping list. Thank you, Karen. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. We've got to take a short sponsor break. We'll talk more about dogs, wildlife and running when we come back. All right. Well, you mentioned, Karen, that that one of your favorite, you called a dog behavior hack. So what are some other ones? What are some of good dog behavior hacks that help dogs be better running buddies? Oh, I have a ton of these. So uh, do you want me to just go by them one by one and you comment or shall I just go on a roll till you stop me and and expand? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Maybe pause slightly after each one and we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Okay. Well, I already mentioned the first one, which is the longer leash, which is little known, but very effective. Mm -hmm. Another thing is that uh, this is especially useful if there's some kind of a distraction, whether it's a squirrel or another runner or a dog, but put on a burst of speed whenever there's something exciting. So I always say like my heading for this is fartlek past distractions, <laughs> just to put a, <laughs> put a little burst of speed in. And it really helps a lot of dogs. And especially say some dogs are very distracted by other dogs, but they start to learn that every time they see another dog that you're going to go zoom and go fast. A lot of dogs after a while, when they make the connection, will see another dog, look at you and be like, okay, are we going? So it's, it saves you the trouble of having to almost you know do it. I like to use a different leash and collar harness for the sort of walks that are just for them and the runs that are for me so that you put it on and they're like, okay, so they know what setup it is. So mm-hmm. like a, just a flat collar or a harness and then this leash or that leash. So they, they recognize, oh, we're going on a walk or oh, we're going on a run. That way they don't 
have to wait till you get out there. Some dogs know because of what shoes you put on, but most of us wear our running shoes, especially old ones all, you know, that's hard to keep clear for dogs. <laughs> These are my newer toe boats. What are you talking know, about? Obviously. Right. Those other ones had 400 miles on it. You've got to be kidding. Um, <laughs> but it is kind of insane how they know. I mean, truly, like my dog knows the difference between my, my shoes. It's just funny. They're smarter than you think. Yeah, no, that's great then if they know. I mean, to me, what that means is that's a salient variable to them. It matters to them. Like, oh, we're going on a run. Excellent. Oh, okay. You know, it really matters or like, to them. Ugh. You're making me go on a run with you. Who knows what the reaction is? <laughs> well, I like to believe the former, but you're right, without being able to ask them. Um, <laughs> another thing is that a lot of dogs pull a lot when they have to poop. So if you can work that with your schedule, like have them poop before you go or just somehow work around your schedule, because a lot of dogs, when they have business to attend to, they tend to pull more. Uh, it's not true for every dog. So that kind of mm -hmm. relates to just picking the best time of day for your dog. Some dogs run really well at certain times of day and not others. And we can't always work around that. Sometimes we're like, okay, I've got 45 minutes today. So I'm going to try to put in a 40 minute run and a couple of strides. And that's all I've got. But if you mm -hmm. can try to figure the time that works best for your dogs. And then another thing is that some dogs do better if you do an out and back route, because then they're not as sniffy and distracted on the way back. Or even like mm. a keyhole type oh, route. That. Yeah, I love, I usually do out and back routes when I run with dogs. And maybe half a mile of it's off or something, but basically an, an out and back. Okay. And one of the best things is that uh, thinking about your pace, dogs tend to be much more interested in you and therefore less interested in the distraction in the environment if you change your pace and direction often. So just try to do a variable mm. pace run with your dog, even if it's just 15 seconds a little slower, or if you suddenly, you know, maybe if you're in an urban environment and you just all of a sudden for the length of like a house or a couple of businesses, you turn around and then you turn around again. So it, it's, you know, it's not going to affect your run that much. And then uh -huh. something that especially, and I find this often happens with a lot of the herding breeds and the, the like retrievers that there's certain paces that are hard for them to run. So my husband and I had this dog, we used to dog sit and I ran with him and my husband ran with him and we were like, he was great. And the owner was like, well, he doesn't run well. It's really unpleasant to run with him. I'm like, oh, that's so weird. Cause he runs well with me and I'm a lot slower than my husband and runs well with him. And I watched him run with my friend and her sort of just common, just not for a speed workout, but just her basic pace was right where this dog was sort of like transitioning between gates. And it's, I think more in terms of horses, like when you transition with trots mm -hmm. and gallops, but um, dogs, if you watch them, there's a certain pace they're running. And then if you go faster, they change. And if you're running right at that pace where they're like stuck. So if you go a little right. slower, or a little faster, and I mm. never thought that much about this. When my husband and I did a half marathon together on our honeymoon. My husband typically runs two minutes faster per mile. And it was like one of the worst races of his life. Like the whole time he felt like he was like mm -hmm. kind of hippity hopping. But we've done lots of like <laughs> running slower together where he'll just warm up yeah. and we're just jogging and he's fine. But my race pace for our half marathon, the year that we got married, he was just like, oh God, this <laughs> I mean, he didn't say that. He didn't say that, but like, it just didn't work for him. Um, and so, yeah. so dogs can be like that. So thinking about pace and then the, my last hack that I would say is put a squeaker in your pocket, like the kind that's from a dog toy. Uh -huh. I just put it, they fit in, you know, the same size as any little nutrition pack in, you know, I put them in, I always put them right in the middle of my sports bra. I'm always like, I am not using all this space and it can go right there. And I just, <laughs> and you just hit it and it will squeak. And then if your dog gets distracted, you, you can um, get their attention. I usually like to, every time I squeak it, give them a treat. So they don't just get bored of the sound. They learn, oh, that means a treat's coming. But the squeak, it really gets a lot of dogs' attention. 
Mm. I'm going to try that too. Brilliant. I'm sorry. I didn't pause very much. I just got so excited. I love running hacks and the idea (laughs) that it might make things better for people and their dogs. I'm furiously taking notes. Thank you. So I had a really scary experience a couple of years ago. I was running by myself. I wasn't with my dog. I was out of town in a pretty rural area. And I was running along, listening to music, da, da, da. And all of a sudden I hear these dogs barking and I turn around and they are chasing me. There were these three dogs off leash and they were, I mean, I've never run so fast in my life, that quarter mile or whatever it was, because they were coming after me. It was, it was terrifying. And finally I heard their owner call them back right before they were about to get me. I mean, I thought that they were going to, in my mind, they were all 85 pound dogs. I'm sure they were each like 20 pound dogs, you know, but in my mind, that's what I imagined. They all have teeth. I mean, mean, they're all scary. Exactly. So I thought that they were all going to bite me. Luckily, the owner called him back and nothing bad happened. But I started screaming like a lunatic and I started running faster. Was that the right thing to do? Or should I have done? I mean, what do you do in a situation like that? What I would say is that I'm glad you got out of that situation. That is really scary. And if I had just been a bug in your ear, I would have had a couple suggestions for tweaking what you did for sure. Yes, please. So one of the things that, you know, when there's off-leash dogs on on walks is that very few of them, and of course I can't speak to the three that you were specifically chasing you, but very few of them are really out to with the intent to harm. Okay. Most of them, although I don't think the three that that you had, but most of them are actually fearful. Most dogs that like chase runners are scared or are fearful, which is really counterintuitive. And what I think with yours, I think that yours, the ones that were after you, my best guess is that it was some combination of sort of like predatory and playful. And the reason I say some combination, those are really related in the dog world. Like when dogs go chasing tennis balls, they're playing, but it's related to their predatory history and you know what I mean? So they're okay. related. So mm-hmm. I think the best thing to do if dogs are chasing you is, well, first of all, the sooner you can disrupt the chain, the better, because the more invested they are in, in whatever they're doing, you, the harder it is to stop. Much like the easiest analogy I can think of is when we lose our temper, it's like, there's a point where your temper, you've lost it, right? And you can't go back. Yes. But if you're starting to feel mm-hmm. that frustration or that irritation and it gets stopped, it's like, okay, you recover really quickly. The, the worse the more you head down that path, the, the harder it is to stop. So what I like to okay. do if dogs are chasing at me, the first thing I like to do is slow down, even stop or walk and certainly change the gate. Because a lot of dogs, it's like they see something running and they have to chase it. Mm. So stopping can can be good. And then I like okay. to de-escalate. And so there's a lot of ways to de-escalate. One of the things that you can say to dogs is just tell them to sit. A lot of dogs know how to sit. And if they don't do it, like nothing, nothing bad happens. And the other thing I'll do is I will, because I usually have a squeaker with me, even if I don't have a dog, because, you know, like I have dog treats in all the pockets, it goes through the laundry, et cetera, et cetera. Um, right, I'll, right. I'll squeak it. Um, <laughs> and then another thing I'll say is if I have treats, I will toss treats buckshot for dogs to get them distracted. Um, some mm-hmm. dogs are can be upset because of our silhouette. Dogs don't seem to understand about removable parts. So if you have hat or glasses on, I would take them off because some dogs like hmm. bark and lunge and chase because they're like, what is that monstrous thing? Even if mm, they huh. live in a place where, where people see that, like lots of dogs, lot, I see clients every week and they're like, my dog is afraid of people with hats, people with sunglasses, men with beards, people carrying things, people with a backpack, you know, it, all those things that change the silhouette. And people are always say, I'm sure he was abused by a person who, you know, had a beard, had a hat and silhouette. And I can't say they weren't because obviously there are some people that are mean to dogs, but I just don't right. believe there's this like sort of army of people with like hats and sunglasses and beards who are going around, you know 
hurting dogs. Right. Another thing I'll do is I'll just do anything I can to jolly them up with phrases that might make them happy. So, and they don't have to be true. <laughs> so what I would say is, where's your ball? Want to go for a ride? Want to go for yeah. a walk? Here's your dinner. So those kind of things. And a lot of dogs are like, oh okay. boy, I would love my dinner, even though you don't give it, but they just associate. And you don't know with any given dog right. what that means, but those kind of things can be helpful. And the worst thing to do is to act threatening because that's escalating it. And most dogs okay. will get like, if you, you know, people are like, I would pick up a stick or I'd throw a rock. It's like, chances are you're going to make it worse. Cause if you actually hurt the dog, mm. they're not mostly, most of them aren't going to run away. They're going to be like, now you're even scarier than I thought. I really better go at yeah. you. Okay. So the idea is to be like calm. And I like to talk in, if not, I'm not using a happy jollying up voice. I just talk in a calm way. Hey there, buddy. What are you doing? I'm out for a run. Yeah. You're scaring me a little. I'm not going to lie. Okay. All right. We're good. You know, very kind of like, um, mm. you don't want to be like, oh my God, you're, you're scaring me. Because <laughs> that gets dogs yes. excited. Those high pitched, especially high pitched, rapidly repeated notes actually tend to stimulate dogs to action. Anything, whoa, 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 um, which is why we often call mm. them with whoop, 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 or pup, 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 because it works. It gets them going. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Well, it's similar to what how you have to treat your toddlers, right? You know, when you're trying to get them into their car seat or something, if you talk to them in a louder voice or an agitated voice, it's not going to work. But if it's calm, then most of the time they will they will do what the, you're asking them to do. I have another story. Uh, I live in Colorado, so we run into all types of wildlife out here. And a couple of weeks ago, I was running with my friend and my dog, and we ran into some bobcats. And this was not too far outside the city. And luckily, they just kind of sat there and watched us run by. But I thought, you know, our adrenaline kicked in and we just kept running, um, not faster. We stayed at the same pace and kept going. Was that the right thing to do when you're running into major wildlife like that? Or was there something that we should have done differently? Well, again, anything that gets you out of the situation is good. Okay. The general advice is based on what animals are most likely to do, but obviously, mm -hmm. you know, not all the animals read the books, <laughs> know exactly what to do. Yes. <laughs> um, but the general advice with most wildlife, you know, bobcats, coyotes, wolves, which are pretty rarely seen actually, cougars, bears, is not to run because it can incite a predatory reaction in them. I'm glad it didn't for you. That is a general possibility. So that sort of the, the best thing to do is to, to back away, but don't run and mm -hmm. to do anything you do that can make yourself bigger. So put your arms up. If you're wearing a jacket, take it off and hold it over your head. That extends that same way that dogs don't seem to recognize mm -hmm. what's removable parts. So hold it up high. And with most wildlife, it's very different than dogs. Dogs seem to have like a lot of emotional contagion with humans. We've evolved together. And if we act happy, they seem happy. <laughs> if we're like scared, they get scared. If we get act intense, they act mm -hmm. intense. With wildlife, it's different. We don't have that kind of biological miracle of a relationship. So it's much more of a potentially right. antagonistic relationship. So you want to actually, you know, throw things, but don't hit them, but but, you know, throw things sort of near them, act intimidating. Um, if you have a dog, I would okay. pick up. If, if your dog is small enough that you can pick your dog up, I would pick your dog up because that okay. A, changes your your shape and B, keeps the dog from being potentially a target of the wildlife. And you just want to make a lot of noise and be very like the opposite of what a nice docile prey animal would be. <laughs> like a prey animal is like light and sweet and quiet and runs. And you don't want to do that. You want to be loud and you want yes. to stand your ground. Um, don't climb trees. There's a lot okay. of things out there that say climb trees don't because most of these animals are better tree climbers. And something, I think there was a case, I think it was in Canada. I should have looked it up. I should look, I should have looked this up because someone was asking about it the other day, but there was a woman in Canada who was, had a confrontation while she was running 
with a cougar mm. and she turned her phone on super high loud and played Metallica. I think it was Don't Tread on Me. Um, but playing <laughs> loud music is terrifying. And it kind of is like that, a little bit like, you know, Back to the Future when Marty McFly plays the sound in the Walkman. Like loud music can be terrifying. Now you yeah. obviously have to be like, okay, like, all right, Pandora. Okay, well, here's my playlist. You know, like it might take a minute. You might not have it. Um, yeah, that's exactly. Right. Slowly play really loud, obnoxious music. Right, exactly. <laughs> Taylor Swift is not going to cut it in that yeah, situation. Right, right. <laughs> but any kind of, even that could be kind of strange because it could be another voice. And if you're both talking and there's only one of you, you know. Um, but the general idea is to make mm-hmm. the animal think that you're not worth the trouble, that you're not easy prey. Um, but you don't want to run mm. because it does tend to incite a predatory response. Now, I'm sure that was quite scary seeing bobcats, and I don't mean to be insensitive to that, but that's pretty cool too. Like I've only seen bobcats a couple of times, never on a run. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm kind of excited for you now that you're all safe and sound. I'm sure you lived through it. (laughs) (laughs) It, Yeah. I mean, it's something that I don't really necessarily want to do again, but it was, it's a neat story to tell people for sure. Definitely. Well, Shalane Flanagan and Amy Craig saw a bear and, you know, where I live in Flagstaff and they talked about it in interviews Mm -hmm. forever. And everyone was like, oh my God, how scary. And but everyone else is like, how cool? Because we don't see bears that often here. I've, n- I've lived here 18 years. I've never seen one. I have one son who's seen one once and that's it. So they were pretty oh, lucky. But, th- but they didn't feel lucky. We saw a bear a couple summers ago. Pardon? Yeah. I saw a bear a couple summers ago too on a hike. And it was, you know, at first you're like, that is a beautiful creature. And then second, you're like, oh my God. Uh, you know, we were hiking. There was like a group of 10 of us. We had two dogs, six kids. Um, and we were, you know, it's, first of all, we grabbed the dogs because they were both off leash and we started making tons of noise. We did do that. Like my husband started, I don't know, banging on something and, and luckily the bear retreated, but again, like it was a cool experience, not cool experience. It was a cool thing. I, it's a good story to tell, but I don't need to see a bear again. I, I'm good. Uh, that's yeah. my one with, when you're with yeah, your children. No, I was going to say, yeah, yes. nobody needs to look forward to type two fun, you know, no. that's, you know, that's, that's, that's no good. It is. I mean, it definitely, if you run anywhere, you know, where I live, there's lots of trails and, and you do see things and it always is exciting, but you always have your, your eyes out. And my husband and I honeymooned in Alaska and we ran a half marathon, the half marathon up there. And we, on like our little last, uh-huh. you know, the day before the race, we just ran a couple of miles easy or whatever. And we saw a moose with a baby moose and we were like, okay, that is so dangerous. Wow. I mean, we were excited. We were like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like, let's get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> well, we still can. No, I mean, they're <laughs> like, moose are really, they seem like just kind of, you know, like with those giant, like you know, things hanging from them. They look kind of goofy, but they're dangerous. Mm-hmm. Well, especially a mom with a baby too. That oh, is, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, yeah. I one time had a dog come up. Uh, I was with my kids who were like two and three and this big Malamute or Malamute cross came running at us on the trail with my children. And I was, you know, terrified. And I, I grabbed the dog by the collar to make sure I could keep it away from the kid. I'm holding, this is a little, little dog hack. I'm right-handed. So I grabbed it with my left hand in case I got bitten, which I didn't, but you know, you don't want to get bitten on your good hand. And this woman came around the corner and she's like, let go of my dog. I'm like, okay, well, you know, he charged, he jumped up at my children. And he's like, the dog's really friendly. I'm like, that may be, but you know, he's off leash and he jumped up on my children. Like, you know, they're behind, I'm like get behind me because they're toddlers. And the person said to me, and I, I they, don't, they don't know who I am or, and I didn't, I don't know them, but they're like, okay, if you knew anything about dog behavior and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, it's just so, un- it's so unlucky that they just said that to me because now I'm, now I'm, and I'm not always running around saying, oh, I know so much about dog behavior, but it is my area of expertise. Right. It's what I do professionally. And I'm like trying to protect my children. I'm holding your dog and yes. you're not really helping yourself lady. So, but anyway, oh, she loosed up yes. the dog and oh. I walked away in a huff. Cause you know, cause mama bear, right? Like I was like, Oh, if it had just been me and the dog didn't seem particularly exactly. scary. It just was like jumping up and like could have knocked them over and things. 
Oh, I tell you, that makes me think of that there's a whole other podcast. We need an expert of how to deal with irrationally irate dog owners when you try to take, you know, some type of behavior against them. I mean, the the people don't understand that a dog is right there at the face level oh, of a child. And they all have yes. carpet knives in their mouths. Amen, I mean, Sarah. Yeah, no, it's really, it's a problem mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, just people always think like none of the rules apply to to their dog and that, and they're like, you know, Damn, oh, God, right. there was a dog I saw one time. I went up to meet him. Super nice. And, uh, uh, you know, like I mentioned, I'm five, seven, I'm not super petite. And this dog just like jumped up on me and like knocked me over and super friendly, you know, you know, just like crazy. Mm. And, you know, and I, and I told my kids, they were pretty little at the time. I'm like, okay, like, so this dog's sweet, but you're, this is not one of the ones that you can go up and pet, you know? And, um, I mean, cause I'd ask, can I pet your dog and gone through <laughs> the whole thing, whatever. And the people just seemed like, you'd think they'd be like, oh gosh, I'm sorry. But they just were kind of like, oh, well on their way. And I'm like, they didn't seem to care that they just knocked over a full grown adult woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, all you have yeah. to do is open up next door. Not that I get on that app very often, but every single time I see an email, it always contains a post about dogs and about mm-hmm. them being off leash or not picking up after them. I mean, it's, there are mm-hmm. so, people are so angry on both sides of the coin. I mean, truly mm-hmm. dog mm-hmm. owners and people who are mad about oh, yeah. dog owners. It's what I find frustrating about it. Podcast. And I realize you're saying it's a whole podcast. I'll try to be brief here, but that there, there are plenty <laughs> of people that are angry on the dog owner side because it's only a few dog owners that are ruining it for everyone else. And there's plenty of people that are angry about the yes. dog owners because there's an, enough, even a small percentage that really are compromising people's feeling of safety, security, well-being, and, you know, community. And it's a shame. Mm-hmm. 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 It is. It is. So, Karen, hearing you tell all these great hacks, all this great advice about what to do if, you know, an off-leash dog comes at you, uh, you know, pack of stray dogs comes at you, I think it all sounds really well and good. But but in the moment with the adrenaline surging, you know, you're all sweaty, you're caught off guard. Is there a way to, like, practice this or something? Because you know, I have a pretty low, calm voice. And I just think if that dog's coming at me, I suddenly am going to sound like a soprano from the Met. Like I'm just going to not be able to to do <laughs> you know, what you it's said. It's such a good point you bring up. It does take practice. And it's one of the reasons in my dog training business that some of the people I love to work with best are elite athletes because they know that you don't, mm. you can't cram for the test. You have to do it. I wrote an article once for a magazine about why elite elite runners make good dog trainers. And it's because they don't have to be elite, but people that are serious about it, but it's just that you do have to practice. And so I would say one of the things to do is say, say you're out running with dogs and you see someone else with a dog, a perfectly well-behaved dog, just like yours. What I, one of the things I would do to practice is I would practice speaking in a calm voice. You can't mimic the emotional Mm -hmm. aspect of it in that setting. But one of the things that helps people speak with the voice they want is to exhale a little first. So Hey, mm. rather than, Hey, um, if you just exhale a little bit first, so if you practice mm-hmm. when you're out on walks and runs and anytime you're going to vocalize that you just exhale a little first, I realize this is, this is not for a tempo workout. <laughs> you know, I mean that you, you might not have much breath in certain workouts, but you can practice when you're walking too. I think that helps. And another thing is you literally practice it, like have a friend, recruit a friend who would like come up and startle you. And then you would actually practice speaking in that way or, or doing it. Um, another thing I would say, so I used to live on Catalina Island. I was teaching marine biology out there and there were sometimes accidents there and the Coast Guard would come. And something that was amazing is they would come. We were all, you know, first aid and CPR trained. And, but when things happen, you know, when you've got like kids snorkeling in the water and they have an asthma attack, it'd be pretty frightening little things. And one of the things that these guys, they, these, you know, guys from like the Coast Guard would say, like they'd come and they'd do things perfectly. And we'd be like, oh my God, that's flawless. And they're like, okay, you know what though? 
yes, flawless is good. But if you do things 80%, like if you get 80%, you're good. So if you just remember not mm. to run away, or if you feel like you're going to speak in a high voice, don't say anything. Mm. Okay. So like, think about like, what part of this can I get right? So I think the the, the easiest thing to remember is not mm. to run away. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do the opposite of what I did, basically. <laughs> well, it's the most natural thing to do because we feel vulnerable and we are runners. Mm-hmm. And I mean, how many times have, I mean, I'm sure we've all used this mental trick during a race. It's like, okay, I'm hurting, but the faster I go, the sooner it's over. <laughs> um, right, right, so we're, exactly. We're and that. I wish I, I would have clocked that time. It was the fastest oh, I've ever I run. I know. I've had some unplanned <laughs> speed work myself that I wish, wish I I wish I had, uh, you know, I had a mark on, but I don't. Um, I was going to ask, I know reading dogs cues or facial expressions can be important, you know, whatever that may mean if they, it's, it's hard to tell what a dog is thinking, but sometimes you can tell a little bit about what their facial expressions are doing. Do you have any advice on that front and how you can approach a dog or not approach a dog just based on kind of what their face looks like? Um, I would sort of expand, I think in my answer, because a lot of understanding how dogs are feeling or what their intent is, is in their whole body language. Some of that's in their face, but their, their whole body's important, but I'll, I'll start with the face. One of the best ways, the most obvious things you can say about a dog, it's pretty easy to see is, um, if a dog has their mouth closed, they look really intense. They just are kind of like, you know, but if they have their mouth open and Mm -hmm. if you have a chocolate lab, I bet you had this, they're kind of like, <sighs> happy. Now, <laughs> obviously, if they're tired or hot, they're going to have their mouth open. But just if that's not the case, mouth closed, more intense, less happy, mouth open, pretty relaxed. In fact, whenever I meet, I see mostly aggressive dogs and 80% of the aggressive dogs I see are fearful and or as the main cause of their aggression. So one of the things I record in every single app- okay. first appointment that I have with someone with a fearful dog is how long until they had their mouth open? Sometimes it's the whole appointment and they never relax. Sometimes I toss them a handful of treats. So it's 12 seconds, you know, they finish the treats and they're like, oh boy, I guess you're good. You're in the club. I like, you know, um, so mouth open. That's really easy. Again, if the dog's been running and it's hot, you can't tell. An- another thing is just the mm. general looseness of the musculature in the face. And like, if they have a, fur- like a furrowed brow or they have like, like worry lines. Um, and I'm not talking about a Sharpay or another dog with a wrinkly face, but if their face looks tense, and you can see like furrowed lines in it, they're more tense than if there's just a relaxed look in their face. And it sounds hard to tell, but if you start looking at dogs, now that I've said that, I think you can get some practice with it. Um, another thing is that one of the things that dogs often do when they're anxious is called a tongue flick. And they flick their tongue out and signs it'll touch their nose and signs it'll just dart out. And if you look in pictures of, especially in magazines of celebrities with their dogs, like 50% of them have their tongue out and touching their nose. And I know what happened. A photographer looked at all their photos like, oh, how cute. Let's use this one. And probably the dog was afraid because the photographer's aiming this big, scary, giant camera eye at them. Um, there's a huge number, um, like right. just tongue flicks are everywhere with celebrity dogs um, because of they have tons of... It's hilarious. We're <laughs> now so all going random. to flip through people and us to be looking for the dog. Yes, so exactly. You'll see it. And so if, if they have their, if they having those tongue flicks, that's not a sign of true fear. It's more like mild anxiety, more like kind of how we might like, people might crack their knuckles or wring their hands or twirl their hair and that kind of nervousness, that level, not like, oh, panicked. And then a general thing with the body is that you want to look like if, if they're moving their body, how much it's moving. So if a, if a dog is sort of wagging from the shoulders back, that's a really happy dog. If okay. they're just wagging at the tip of the tail, that could be a very aggressive dog. Okay. Um, hmm. So, and generally the tail height indicates a degree of confidence. Um, 
So oh, if their tail is really low, like mm-hmm. even tucked, and mm-hmm. it can vary by breed, like things like Samoyeds and Cazins and American Eskimo, they tend to have their tails up high and some dogs tend to have them low, like Border Collies tend to have them low. So you have to kind of adjust for that. But it, the tail height can indicate from the base of the tail, the confidence. And the, if a dog is wagging their tail like a helicopter, like circular wag, that's usually a pretty happy, friendly dog. Okay. But if a tail is moving slow and twitching, that could be a very aggressive dog. Okay. And there's a, there's a, a lot more about dog body language is like there's all these things about how dilated their pupils are. But I feel like eh, if I'm already close enough to see if the dog's eyes are, pu- right. are dilated, like we're already in a, in a world of hurt. Right. Um, right. So I, I don't really, I don't really go with that. But the yeah. mouth open and a loose, relaxed face and body are mm. are good signs that okay. uh, that are that are visible from a you know I mean unless your contact fell out or something from a re- reasonable <laughs> distance okay so at the risk of sounding extreme what about carrying pepper spray or some other irritant if a runner frequently encounters stray or unfriendly dogs it's a good question and I I this this is my take on it there's a small percentage of dogs who if you spray them with pepper spray, it will deter them. But many more dogs, it will hurt them and agitate them Mm. more. There is a type of spray that that you can use. I'm not a huge fan of it because dogs do find it upsetting. But if it meant that somebody, you know, people are my favorite species. And if it felt like it gave them the freedom and peace of mind to run, Mm -hmm. I could go with that. And it's a citronella Mm -hmm. spray. Yeah. And and basically, here's my take on the citronella spray. Dogs don't like the smell of citrus in general. So the spray of the citronella seems to upset a lot of dogs. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't seem to make dogs who it doesn't upset any worse okay. and it can get in eyes and sting and hurt yours or the dog. So you want to be careful of that. And I actually really believe that these citronella dispensers, it kind of makes this sound. And I think that sort of startles a lot of dogs and sort of is actually what sometimes is the deterrent mm. effect. Oh. So an empty one will probably work just as well. Mm, so okay. I'm not a huge fan of the citronella spray because it can you know, upset dogs and it can get in eyes and sting, but I definitely wouldn't use pepper spray because of the chance of, of a truly aggressive dog that is not just doing it sort of casually, but in a very intense way, it'd make it worse Mm -hmm. um, because then they're, then they're sort of panicked Mm -hmm. and pepper spray can also get in your eyes and be really dangerous. Mm -hmm. Sure. Mm -hmm. So what, if the worst thing happened, well, I guess it's probably not the worst thing, but what if a person is running and he or she gets bitten by a dog, what should they do? Oh boy. Some of that is really a medical question. I don't have any medical training, but I can tell you what I would do if I got bitten by a dog. Mm -hmm. First of all, I would do whatever I could to avoid getting bitten again. A lot of the things we've already talked about, you know, yes. tossing treats and, you know, whatever. The other thing I would do is I would try to get a picture of the dog so that I could identify it and make sure that the dog was up to date on their rabies and things, you know, vaccines, things like that. Okay. I mean, if it's a stray dog, you know, we have plenty of stray dogs here that have never been owned and that wouldn't work, but I would try to do that. I would just then attend to whatever medical care. I needed. Okay. Uh, one thing I would say is it's pretty rare, luckily, for dogs to do what's called a multiple strike bite. Mm. Most dogs who bite, bite once um, okay. instead of like, I mean, I've only been bitten twice in my entire life, once in my personal life. <laughs> uh, when I was doing my PhD work in Costa Rica, I climbed through a fence where I was working on some of my wasp nest. And unbeknownst to me, the farm dog there had just had puppies. Oh, boy. <laughs> Even though I'd come in and out many times, she took exception to that. Uh-huh. I got bitten then. And then one time I had a client's dog bite me. Um, and that's, um, you know, I've been working professionally with dogs since 1997. So that's that's pretty good. So I don't have a ton of experience in terms of that feeling of, of being bitten, um, thankfully. Yeah. But the main thing you want to do is really just assess the medical care and just try to stay calm, which is obviously really hard. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Yeah. Well, you hearken back to your wasp thing. We can't let you go without say what happens if if you're a runner and you encounter a, a wasp nest, uh, you know, a, a yellow jacket, something like that. I mean, particularly if you're a trail runner. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, since since yellow jackets tend to nest in the ground, you really want to try to avoid mm-hmm. those for sure. You know, yeah, just as far away as you can be. And here's something really interesting. Most social insects that sting, you know, that, that fly wasps, so wasps and bees, what they are most likely to go to as a target is dark round shapes. And this mm. is evolutionarily adaptive because most of the predators of wasps, of the brood of wasps and bees are mammals and some birds. So, you know, badgers, skunks, foxes, bears, and a lot of birds. And going for the eye, really, like getting stung in the eye one time is a pretty big deal. Whereas getting stung in the leg, while it still hurts and you still might swear and lose your PG rating, it's (laughs) not really a catastrophe. And so, I mean, the thing about about wasps and bee stings I think is so interesting theoretically is that unless you're allergic, the amount of pain you feel is out of proportion to how much damage you have. It's it's one of nature's great deceptions, which I find super cool and interesting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so a single sting to the eye, the amount of pain that is, anyone's going to go away. So if you're going by anything like that, squint your eyes or cover your eyes with, you know, even if you have glasses on, if they hit the glasses, not stinging your eyes. So protect your eyes. That would be the best advice I could have from sort of a behavioral point of view. In terms of honeybee colonies, here's a little known thing. And this really is relevant for uh, runners because of the food that we tend to eat. Like a lot of trail runners carry various things. And one of the alarm pheromone that honeybees have, meaning like if a, if a bee stings you, then there's a chemical on you that attracts other bees to that spot. It's like a, over here, this is where the danger is, an alarm pheromone. There's either the same or a biologically essentially identical chemical in bananas. So you hmm. never, never, never like, you know, run by honeybee hives with bananas. <laughs> that is such a fun fact. Yeah. Wow. So stop doing that. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, how many, I mean, I know bananas isn't the easiest fuel to carry and most of us carry more like professional <laughs> sort of things, but like I've run with bananas because I'm, I'm one of the people like at our local running store, sometimes I'm all going and be like, oh, by the way, this is really good. It didn't make me throw up because so many things <laughs> made me throw up. Yeah. So I, I, I stick with the basics, you know, banana, sweet potato. <laughs> <laughs> Karen, is there any final advice or insight you'd like to leave folks with about running with your dogs? I guess there's two things I'd love to say. One is that I think that if you run with your dog, you do so much to enhance your relationship with your dog. Mm -hmm. And if you do have like a a dog where you really are running buddies, and it may not be every run or every time of year, um, but just think about what that can do for the relationship. I think it's just pretty amazing. One of the things that dogs and people have in common is that we're chemically suited to like distance running, like the, you know, the endogenous chemicals, we have them because we have Mm -hmm. a long distance running heritage as do dogs. There was actually a study where they looked at ferrets and ferrets don't have it. (laughs) Um, so I know a lot of my friends are like, I must be part ferret if they don't like long distance running. Um, so, so that's, that's one thing. And the other thing I would say is that certain people tend to have problems with dogs. This isn't running with your dog, but being chased Uh by dogs. Mm -hmm. And, where I live in Flagstaff, Arizona, there are a lot of elite and professional runners. Right. And almost everyone that's a runner of any level has had an issue with a dog at some point. But I've noticed a pattern here with some of the runners here that there's a few that tend to like, you know, they're out running with like 10 or 12 people and they're the one the dog mm-hmm. goes for. And I've noticed something so interesting. This is just my own theory, so it's not proven, but I'm so interested in it, you know, since it's <laughs> mine. Um, I think that certain dogs certain runners have gates, especially very, very tall, skinny runners, even by run, you know, professional runner standards. Uh-huh. And if there ever were called the gazelle, if the gazelle was their nickname in uh-huh. college when they ran, they're the one that like, you know, that super smooth, like where you watch them and like, 
you know, I sort of thunk along, you know, where I am going left, right, left, right, like other runners, but I'm no, no beauty to watch running. But the people, when you watch them and you're like, you're just like ergonomically, it's just beautiful and amazing. Those are the ones the dogs go after. So if anyone has a history of being specifically targeted by dogs, they should know they have probably a beautiful Take it as a compliment. <laughs> That's <Yes>. right. Exactly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, Karen, you have been a font of knowledge and wisdom. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Oh, sure. My pleasure. I I love just anything to do with dogs running, mothers, women, and, you know, the whole shebang. So all right here in one package. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> yeah, exactly. thank you. I'm going to implement a lot of your ideas and tricks tomorrow when I run with my dog. So thank you. Oh, good. I, I hope you have, you know, happy tails and happy trails. Aw, <laughs> so cute. Thanks, Karen. Thank you. Wow, Katie, I could definitely tell that you were taking laborious notes on how to improve your runs with Charlie and... <laughs> Make it a better experience for both of you. <laughs> yes. And it just makes me laugh too how much I don't know about running with my dog, despite running with him for five years, like, you know, multiple miles a week. <laughs> so I've got, there's, it, you're never, it's never too late to learn yeah. some new tricks about running with your dog. But I do, when she said happy trails and happy, happy tails and happy trails. Um, happy, yes. Sorry. I knew I was going to mess that up. It it really does. Like it brings such a smile to my face. Aww. I love love, love running with him. So anyone who's on the fence about running with their dog, just go out and try it and see, see how much joy it brings to both of you. That's very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, if you feel like hitting trails with a whole bunch of mother runners and women runners, we have just the answer for you. Our retreat in Redmond, Oregon, it's June 9th through 12th. And this is truly the next few weeks. It's our true last call to join us. We have just a few spots left including just a few hotel rooms. So if you have been debating, hop off the fence and join us out there in central Oregon in the high desert. It's beautiful. It's going to be a lot of hiking and running and possibly bringing in a pickleball instructor and amazing food. Our host hotel is just phenomenal. It is hip and very mod without being pretentious. I'm just really, really excited for it. So find out all the details at anothermotherrunner.com and click on the events tab. And we also, like everything else on our site, you can pay using Affirm, which is a payment plan. Again, go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on events. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medore from Fire on the Bluff. You can go whenever you want, Katie. Okay, I didn't know. Um, sorry, that was the first time I'd heard yeah. you say that before we go to a commercial <laughs> break. So I didn't know what my key was. Um, here it is. <laughs> yes.